through him. But since he's a spirit and he doesn't have children himself, Jesus became a man. Jesus did not have children either. So how does that happen? How do we get to be good if we can't be in that genealogical goodness? So that means that there's something else in us that can inherit this goodness, that can receive this goodness, that it can lodge within us to literally be someone who God could look at and say, that's good. He looks at us and he says, that's good. So it doesn't really mean that we are good. It means that we possess good, if that makes any sense. That does. I think I earlier um, in the past, last podcast had mentioned when you were talking about this whole good conversation, I was like, I don't even care. I'm not trying to be good. I just want to know how to live. Mm -hmm. um, and as you were talking just then, I realized you were saying we kind of bury that that idea eventually that we always want to be good and we're trying to figure out how to live this good way um, and we eventually bury it. And I kind of realized all of the things that I want in life, I'm not even so sure that I want. I've just been told that I need, um, you know, like I want a house and I want a good marriage and I want kids that love me and I want a good job that will pay for all of these things. There's all these things that I'm told that I'm supposed to want that will make me happy. Um, I think oftentimes as my age, I'm told to want an Instagram following. I'm told to want boys that pay attention to me all the time. I'm told to want a certain amount of likes, a certain whatever, a certain reputation, whatever that is. Um, but really, really deep inside, I don't think those are the things that I want. The thing that I truly want is to be at peace inside and to know that I'm good and good with God. Um, and so that was just a little piece that I felt like was important to add because it sort of got revealed that to me as you were talking that I've been questioning for a while about I want all of these things and I'm just really confused about what I'm supposed to be going after. Um, but it seems like I've just hidden in my own heart the fact that the thing that I really need to go after and the thing that I'm actually wanting is that goodness and that right standing relationship with God. It reminds me of something that my very wise sister told me one time, which was we have all these things that we chase in life that we think are good and they're God's blessings. Um, and we chase after them, but they're like echoes. If you don't chase down the source, you lose the voice. So you f you're chasing after these voices, these really good looking things like the job, the husband, wife, the kids, the Instagram following, the whatever it is. Um, you're chasing after those things because it's got the voice of goodness on it. It's got the blessing on it. Um, but the further you chase it, the more empty it looks. And so if you're not running for the source, then you're not going to find what you're looking for, um, which is, is the source, is that goodness. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of a revelation that I had had during that time that I think maybe unpacks some of it for some people or at least explains what was going on in my own head. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. You have a wise sister, and I'm glad oh, she has a listening sister. Because, see, w what we're doing is like the things that you said that you felt you were taught or inherited and you agreed upon, that, that that's going to make you feel better in life. It's going to make you have a good life, you know, to have all those things. I felt the same way. I think that most people do. That's why they seek after the things that they think will make their life good. Everyone wants a good life. I mean, you ask somebody today, you know, do you want a cup of coffee? They say, no, I'm good. You know, it's so, it's like, it's it, to declare yourself good is not answering the question. I just asked if you wanted a cup of coffee. But so we, we, we want to go to that place where we're good. 
Um, and we want to convince ourselves that we are good. And when we don't think we're good, that's when the trouble starts to fall on us. And we look for something else that may either get rid of that feeling of wanting to be good, or actually this might possibly be that missing element that is going to make me feel like I, ha I am good or have good. So in the natural world, where this is where you're talking about, um, where some people are going to look for a nice car or a nice home or the marriage thing. Other people are going to look for other things to look for good. They want personal acclaim, people to notice them. But it's all in the same really material realm. And that's not where it's going to stay because Jesus said, you know, don't seek for these treasures that where moths can come in and destroy it, where thieves can come in and steal, where rust will make it rot away and deteriorate. Those are never going to let, bring any kind of lasting sense of goodness to you or meaning to you or value because they're, they're going to disappear. They're going to fade away. They're going to turn into something else. So he's saying, but, but set your minds on things above. This is the story of the scriptures, the New Testament specifically, and, and put your treasures um, in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves cannot break and steal. Because there's something up there that is that is capable of holding the things that earth cannot. And so there's another dimension. This is where we're satisfied. And so this is where I think it leads us to the conversation of, well, what are we really made up of? If we want these things in the material world and they don't satisfy, why do we want these things if there is nothing in this material realm that won't bring the satisfaction that we're looking for? Is there some other thing that we're missing in the conversation or in this search for the significance, which we call goodness? I think that's where we need to go to. I agree. And I think I have definitely, in my own life, come to the point of recognizing that there's nothing in the material world that really fully fulfills me. I, you know, you get moments of fulfillment, moments of like, okay, this, this is looking good. This is looking like my life has purpose, like the people around me are in good relationship with me, like I have everything that I could want or need. And even in those moments of really, truly good, good, good moments, those moments of goodness, um, sometimes, normally right after the moment of goodness, there's, there's just like, there's still peace missing. There's still something, something off. Or you have, you know, a couple weeks of really good times and then before you know it, you're basically depressed a couple weeks later. And it's like, I was just good. What happened? And clearly it's not material because most of the time, at least for me, it's not connected to anything actually physically changing materially. So where, where does it come from? Mm -hmm. Well, so we're going to talk about that. And I think we use J the journey from Jacob is really the most beautiful place to where this conversation is highlighted in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, because Jacob is wrestling with God, which is a strange concept, but he's not going to give up until he gets something from God. And God pins him to the point where he says, what is going to stop you from wrestling? And he says, not until you bless me. So there is in his mind this thing called the blessing that we need to discover what is he actually looking for. I don't think Jacob knows in particular. I don't think he understands it yet. 
but he knows that it's a promise that was given to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac, and it was made clear that it was going to pass through him, but he doesn't sense it yet. And I this is why he's in this match for, for the night, the I endurance. I would easily bet that he's grown up throughout his life and seen, I don't know if he knew his grandfather, but his grandfather and father, there you are. Um, so both of them and saw something different in them and was like, I don't have whatever it is that they have. Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing is, whatever that blessing is, I don't feel it and I'm not sure in it. Because I even see that in my own life and my own walk around. I wouldn't say particularly my own family, nothing against them, but I have fathers and mothers in faith that I walk around with and I'm like, they have something just a little bit more than I do. I don't know what it is. I, I think we're on the same page. Maybe it's just maturity. What is that? That it is that they have that I don't that could easily be called a blessing. Maybe. Maybe. Well, so we will talk about the nature of the blessing, but this is something we cannot um, forget or put aside as if you become a Christian, you become a superhuman. Um, that's not what it's about. It's, it's, you don't become superior. You're still human. You'll be a human till the day you die. And humans have this characteristic of all the same emotional issues that any other human has. So there is no superiority in the human level. What is what happens to us is we're given some kind of operating equipment that we never had before. So we become possessors and partakers of the divine nature. And that's what I think we need to talk about because the, the New Testament clearly describes the blessing in a very a variety of terms and it identifies the one who is recipient of the blessing as well. And that, that's when we talk about the identity change that took place in the night that Jacob wrestled God. So, from there we go back to the, this, this match and this night of deep darkness when Jacob is left to himself. Um, I'm sure it was extremely painful for him knowing that behind him was his father-in-law who was out to get him because he said he was a thief. He stole not only all his possessions, but he stole his daughters and his grandchildren. So he was angry, and he was a deceitful man, and, and he proved himself to be capable of doing things um, that Jacob was a, would, in the natural, be very afraid of. Ahead of him, though, was his brother, who was, he just got the report that your brother Esau is on his way here, and he's got a company of men, 400 men. And the last thing that Jacob knows for sure in his memory, which he could not have forgotten, even though it was over 20 years ago, was that his brother said, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And so Esau was a wild man, and um, he believed that he would keep his word and kill him. So he's, he's faced between, he's literally between a rock and a hard place, and he has no place to turn. And so he's facing his fears, he sends everyone ahead of him, and he's left alone in this dark place. And then all of a sudden this angel begins to wrestle him, whom he thinks is an angel, but it, it, he realizes it's actually God himself. So this, it's a nighttime experience. It's dark. It, it represents a place of aloneness and uncertainty. And he, he, don't, he will not stop wrestling until God blesses him. And he does. He blesses him. So what happens after he blesses him? He touches him. He touches his hip. And he, it's, the Bible says that after this, he'd never walk the same again. 
Um, so that's one um, effect of this blessing, that it changes the way we walk. So it changes the way we uh, live th through life, we journey through life, because there's something different about our walk. So that's to be noted. And the other thing is he changes his name. Now Jacob is not listening, looking for a name change, but his, his name um, in some ways meant deceiver, in some ways meant supplanter, trying to put himself above other people and through any means possible. And that's where deception comes in. So his name change was necessary because God was going to point out his identity change that had something to do with the name. Names are very important to God. And he changed his name to Israel. And Israel is a very interesting name. We don't know it from previous conversations or history in the Bible. And Israel means one who strives with God. So before, Jacob was striving against God. Everything he did was, was pretty much through his own understanding of how to live life and get the things that human beings look for, like you were talking about before. Jacob is no different. So in this name change, he's no longer going to be called Jacob, but he's going to be called Israel. And that means that he, he strives with God. That does very clearly say he still strives, but he's no longer striving against, he's striving with. So life does have this sense of strife, but it's something that we have to overcome. And the only way we can clearly overcome it and live it rightly is with God. So then what is the blessing? Well, that's what we have to talk about, the human side of Jacob. He was just like everyone else, and he was struggling through life. But God gave him this quality, if you want to call it that. I like to call it um, machinery or mechanism, because I could see it more clearly that way. And to, to understand this mechanism, this new machinery, we have to look at what is man? What is man made of? Are we, we, we're not just physical beings because our physical being is always changing, every moment. Some say that every seven minutes you're the, a different cell structure, completely different cell structure. So we're always changing. You, you could look in the mirror and long enough, you'll actually see changes take place. If you're, when you become a parent, and I've done this with my children, is I'll, I'll stay, my firstborn especially, before I was a believer, I just stared at her as a baby and I, and I, I watched her change. I, I don't know if I was imagining it or not, but she looked different to me as I was watching her. And children do grow faster at that age. So um, that morphing takes place quicker. So we don't necessarily recognize that in ourselves, but we are changing. And that's the outside. That's the mechanism. It's also the, the organs. Everything within this physical body is changing and aging. So that, that is something clear we all share in common, this body. Now we think as well. So we, we have this way of thinking. We have a way of making decisions. We could see all our senses. We could hear and smell. If they're in good shape and functioning properly, we all have this in common. Um, but we have something else in us, so that's, that's part of the organic um, instrumentality that we have, or we're capable of doing, using our brain for things. But then we have these senses within us that feel and make decisions. So that doesn't take place in the, in the organs, in the literal heart, or even in the literal brain, although we make decisive moves based on what our brain um, dictates. But what makes the brain function that way? The brain is, is a piece of machinery. 
So that's called the soul, where we make our decisions, we think, and we have emotions. So basically, the three things is, is we, we think, we feel, and we make decisions. That's where our soul is. So we, are, we live in a body, and we have a soul. But what about this other part that wants something more? What is that all about? Well, that, the Bible says, is the spirit. When God breathed into Abraham, it says that he breathed his ne um, ruach. So there's two words in Hebrew. One is nefesh, which means soul, and one is ruach, which means spirit. Um, Adam had nefesh, which is the soul, but he did not have ruach, which is the spirit. So God breathed into him a spirit. And what did that do? It made him different than all of other, the rest of creation. The rest of creation, didn't, he didn't do that to. He didn't breathe into the dog and the cat. Most people who have dogs and cats say, well, my dog has a spirit. No, he doesn't. He has a soul. And my dog has a soul. And I love to look into my dog's eyes and see this sensitivity. But there is something missing that I, when I look into my wife's eyes, my children's eyes, or your eyes, there's something else. There's a spirit. There's something deeper that is within the human being. So the Bible calls that a spirit, that we are made of spirit, soul, and body. So we are a spirit because God is spirit. He's, he's given us a spirit. We, we possess a soul and we live in a body. The body will one day decay and die and betray us in the process. The soul has this sense of, of aging, but the spirit is all different. The spirit goes back to God and the soul does as well. And God does something with each, whether or not we're believers. But... Um, the spirit is where we humans can connect to God if they're in good condition. However, the Bible also said in the beginning, if Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was going to have a spoiler effect. That their soul and their spirit would begin to die. So it doesn't say that they would immediately die, fall down dead. But in dying, they shall die. So the body would age, which it was meant to age. But the spirit was meant to live on inside of him so that he could keep communion with God. Because remember, God breathed his spirit. That was his form of communication, connecting with Adam. When they walked in the garden together, they had fellowship because Adam had a spirit that could connect with God, who is a spirit. So this spirit began to die, and we get to the New Testament, we're told that all men are spiritually dead. So that doesn't mean that our spirit doesn't have some kind of activity going on, but it cannot communicate with God the way he originally intended. Jesus said, when Nicodemus visited him at night, he said that you must be born again, that you must become spiritually alive. Your spirit must be made alive. Not your soul, not your body, because Nicodemus was confused. How can I go back into my mother's womb? You know, I'm an old man. He says, I'm not talking about your physical body. I'm talking about your spirit. And if, you're, if you are going to enter the kingdom of God, if even you're to see the kingdom of God, you have to have your spirit made alive. And so what happens in, in the life of the believer is that he becomes alive in the spirit. We were formerly dead in the spirit. We become alive in the spirit. How that happens? Is it a wrestling match with God like Jacob? 
It's not. And that's where I think there the confusion lies because the New Testament says it is not by what we do. It is by grace, which is a different topic, but it's something that God gives as a gift for all men, women, children, whatever age we're, we're capable of understanding this, we could come to God and receive the grace to be born from above, to be given this new spirit that we will never walk the same. And that even in that process, uh, we get an identity change. And this is why Jacob's name was changed from Jacob, the one who would supplant or even deceive, to Israel, the one who would strive with God. So we go from against to with, and we companion with God for a reason, not just to receive this blessing and say, cool, I'm cool now, I'm good, I'm good, everything's good, I don't need anymore. But then there's a purpose, an identity change, so that we can make the difference that the blessing was originally intended to do, which was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, and through them into all the nations of the world. So that really, this blessing could be received by all, whoever would, who, whosoever would come to God with that same desire and go before him in humility, is, which is how the Bible re describes this process, and say, Jesus, because Jesus is the one who came, you know, we could talk about that later, but in, in summary, that Jesus is the one who is the blessing. And Jesus comes to live within, within us. He can't come in and live in, a, in a, a dead spirit. He comes to live in our spirit and makes us alive spiritually, which is called the presence of the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of man. So would you say then that spiritual, your spirit coming to life, the blessing, and what Jesus did are all kind of the same? They are the same. I, that's what I was hearing, but I was kind of confused. So then that struggle for the blessing, is that just struggle of being secure in what has already happened? If there's no necessary struggle in order to be blessed? Well, I think the struggle is getting used to the equipment that we have inside of us more than becoming born again. In Jacob's day, there was no Jesus, there was no cross, there was no forgiveness of sin. So we have to go from there and understand the distinction that took place between his life and the life of a, a New Testament believer. Well, all right. Um, I think there is a difference there, um, and that makes a lot of sense, but I still relate very much with the struggle. So I think at the end of this, my question to, to kind of finish up is, if it's different because he doesn't have Jesus and doesn't have the cross and all of that, why does the struggle still exist in my life if I'm already blessed just because I've accepted Christ? Great question. Question. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I think that's something we're going to have to spend a little more time on. Okay. Sounds good. We'll see you next week. Shalom. <laughs>